Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Well, if I could have you stand for our scripture reading, and I would especially like you to uh, have your rock in hand, if you wouldn't mind. It is a uh, something we uh, felt like, given the subject that we're thinking about today, that it would be good for us to hold this. I would encourage you to hold this rock throughout our time uh, today as we reflect on Scripture together. The topic that we are considering today is sexuality, and for various reasons that we'll talk about a little bit today, this is an arena filled with antagonism, filled with violence, filled with contention. This is an arena, quite frankly, where we as followers of Jesus have not always followed him in our response to sexual chaos and brokenness. And so it's good to hold this rock today as we reflect on these things. And the passage that is our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 6. You don't have to turn to it because we're all going to read it together out loud. So it is on the screens. It's Luke chapter 6. It's verses 41 through 46. And again, with rock in hand, let's read this together. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Sexuality is obviously a broad subject, uh, way too broad to get into every detail today. It encompasses numerous issues which are impossible to adequately address in one message or in several messages even. So obviously there will be many important and crucial aspects of this particular topic we will have to omit for time constraints. And to try and focus us into this a bit, remember in this Pull Up a Chair series, as we've had several weeks of it so far, we're trying to wade into difficult cultural issues from a kingdom of God perspective. We're doing our best, certainly it's imperfect, but we're doing our best to think and process these challenging issues, first and foremost, as kingdom citizens, as followers of Jesus Christ, and as a community of Christians, in this case a community called Oak Hills Church. We are seeking together to respond to sexual chaos in ways that are kingdom-oriented a welcomed alternative 
to the angry and combative ways sexuality is often approached in our time. And perhaps none of the subjects is more challenging than sexuality. One of our elders recently suggested um, that we should ditch this whole topic and just show a movie today instead of talking about this. So we're going to play Ratatouille now and just kind of watch it. (laughs) Sexuality is an inflammatory topic. It divides people, as you know, into us versus them uh, paradigms. And us versus them paradigms usually breeds anger, violence, and hate, all of which prevail these days. I want you to see this. You know, we talked at the outset of this series about Mr. Rogers, this won't you be my neighbor thing. So because of this particular day, I purposefully wore my Mr. Rogers socks. <laughs> won't you be... I actually thought about preaching like this, but I thought it might be a little distracting. But you have a rock, and I'm inviting you to be my neighbor as we walk through this. Our purpose today is to try to reduce the inflammation around this subject. And let's kind of get right into it and just uh, walk straight into the fire a bit. Some of us brought tension and antagonism with us into the room today on this subject. Because when we hear the word sexuality, some of us immediately think of homosexuality or LGBTQ or transgenderism. And maybe we've come here today knowing that's the topic, sexuality, and we've come here hoping to hear condemning remarks about these things. And I would urge us at the outset to heed Jesus' teaching you just read from our scripture reading and reflect deeply on the plank in our own eye on this subject instead of the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye. There's a lot of hidden hurt around sexuality and its related issues. And that hurt is in this room today as well. And so we move into this with our rock in hand to remind us of how difficult and hard and painful and wrong sometimes Christians react to this. And we move into this as well with this sense of severe gentleness and compassion and grace. Now, for our purposes today, the concept of sexuality, this big, broad concept, includes our God-given desire for relationship, for connection, our yearning to love and to be loved. It includes our male and female identity. It includes our orientation in terms of our sexual Attraction and our sexuality for purposes of our time today includes our sexual desire and it includes our sexual activity. This message then is about the many faceted dimensions of sexuality. We are sexual beings and how we think about sexuality and live out our sexuality is to begin with this idea of we are kingdom Citizens who are sexual beings, so our sexuality flows out of our kingdom citizenship. And how we respond in a sexually chaotic culture should first and foremost be as kingdom 
citizens. So pull up a chair and let's talk about this. And I want to begin by talking about sexual brokenness. Perhaps the most important thing I want to say today is that in today's culture, and this is crucial, and in the Christian community, there is an epidemic of sexual brokenness that touches most of us, and I would venture to say all of us at some level. Sexual brokenness refers to the myriad of distortions and sins and dysfunctions and disordered desires and pain so prevalent in human sexuality. Sexual brokenness affects heterosexuals. It affects homosexuals. It affects lesbians, bisexuals, males, females, transgenders, single people, married people, you name it, sexual brokenness is an epidemic in today's world. In Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the human story. And immediately following sin's arrival, literally in the next verse, the Bible says, the eyes of Adam and Eve were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Prior to this, they walked around naked. The moment sin entered the picture, human sexuality became marred and broken. The curse of sin, we might say, rippled into human sexuality. And Adam and Eve suddenly felt awkward and insecure about their sexuality. Sexuality became a venue of pain, shame, insecurity. And with this Rampant brokenness came the instinct to hide and to cover up. And we see signs of brokenness in our culture and in our world. We see signs of brokenness in the sexualizing of everything. Sex in the lyrics of so many songs. Sex in the storyline of so many movies. Sex as the underlying theme in so many reality television shows. Sexual brokenness funds pornography, adultery, rape, Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, and we could go on and on and on. But sexual brokenness is not only in these well-documented examples. We see sexual brokenness in the casualness with which sex happens outside of marriage. We see brokenness in the paralyzing sexual shame many have within marriage. We see brokenness in the severe drought of relational and sexual intimacy in many marriages, especially in longer marriages. Couples become roommates in the same house. And their relationship consists really of navigating the various logistics of family life. But they're not connected to each other or experiencing intimacy. And this viral sexual brokenness, as you well know, is a source of deep pain and hidden hurt for many in today's culture and for many in the Christian community. It takes me very little time to pay attention, to use Jesus' phrase, to the plank of sexual brokenness in my own life. The only way I can miss this plank, me personally, is if I refuse to self-reflect and instead fixate on the brokenness out there 
in the culture instead of in here, in my own life. I imagine some of us have come here today, as I've already mentioned, hoping for strong words of condemnation about the sexual chaos and brokenness out there. But we come to this subject today as kingdom citizens, and I want to invite us to follow Jesus' teaching we all read earlier and look first at the sexual chaos and sexual brokenness in here. Let's get more specific. It is all too common, I think, for Christians to point fingers of blame out there at casual sex, at Hollywood, for the way it promotes the sexualizing of our culture. Point fingers of blame at homosexuals, at the LGBT community, and at transgenders, as if these are the only manifestations of sexual brokenness. And to be clear, I do believe there is ample, even rampant, sexual brokenness amongst these groups I just mentioned. But citizens of God's kingdom expend too much energy inspecting the speck of sawdust out there instead of examining their own plank in here. One theologian puts it this way. He says, I am suggesting that in a Genesis 3 perspective, no one's sexuality is innocent. Everyone's sexuality is broken in ways known quite well to each of us in our own hearts. Everyone's sexuality needs to be morally disciplined and ordered. Meanwhile, basic standards of Christian humility direct our attention to our own issues rather than those of others. So let me ask, if you were going to bring a trusted friend into your sexual brokenness, what would you share with them? Do you know the plank in your own eye? Secondly, let's talk about sexuality and kingdom ethics. Jesus Christ is Lord of everything, including every facet of our sexuality. So he has brilliant wisdom to guide us in our sexual formation. The ethics of his kingdom, then, are to shape how we think about our sexuality and how we live out our sexuality. And it seems to me we sometimes bring a number of rather rigid assumptions and firm convictions and sort of unshakable resolutions to the topic of sexuality. And we sort of dig in on these things and hold our assumptions and our convictions and our resolutions in a tightly closed fist. But as we've remembered throughout this series, Jesus Christ is king over everything. And as citizens of his kingdom and followers of the king, our first posture is one of listening to him and following him. Sexuality in all of the ways we are thinking of it today was created by God, so it is good. The desire for love given and received is God created and good. The desire for companionship is good. The desire for intimacy and connectedness is good. The desire for sex is good. But Jesus has guidance for us on these things. We don't get to self-construct our sexual ethics any more than we get to self-construct our ethics on violence or money or whatever. 
So, this is not an exhaustive treatise, what I'm about to do, on Jesus' ethics of sexuality. Not trying to come up with the whole thing. I just want to stir our thinking a bit with a few ethics of Jesus on sexuality. In Matthew chapter 5, he talks about lust as distorted sexual desire, misplaced desire. And as kingdom citizens, we have to think about this as we reflect on the countless ways we objectify other people for our own sexual gratification. Here's another bit of his ethic. This desire for connection that God has put into human beings. This desire for intimacy. How do singles flesh this out? How do singles live out this hunger for intimacy? They have the same as all other people have. We all have it. How do singles deal with that? This is something for us to navigate and discern together as we seek the king. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4-5. through 5, Another little bit of Jesus' ethic on sexuality. Kind of a strange passage. Paul says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Believe me, I'm not trying to make a, play a power card about sex in marriage, but there's a dying to self involved in kingdom sexuality. Sexual other-centeredness is clearly what Paul is getting at. There are kingdom ethics to consider in the realm of our marital sexual activity. And as kingdom citizens, we enter into these issues together. And we seek to discern the Spirit's guidance, always doing so with massive amounts of gentleness and respect, mutual respect and extravagant displays of grace. We live in a culture where the basic message is something like this. Pursue sexual self-expression in whatever manner is genuine for you as long as no one else is harmed. Do what you want. Just don't hurt anyone in the process. And you know something? We should absolutely expect the culture to approach sexuality from this me-first perspective. The only thing shocking about this is that we're shocked about this. But as kingdom citizens, we march to a different throne. And we are to offer with open hand our assumptions and our convictions and our resolutions about sexuality. We're to offer them to Jesus our King, to hold them in an open hand and invite God's Spirit into these particulars, discern biblical wisdom with other brothers and sisters in Christ and realize, above all else, Jesus' sexuality wisdom is not intended to constrain or restrict us. Believe it or not, it is designed to liberate us from the destruction our self will surely reap in the realm of sexuality if we let it run wild. Here's another little bit of Jesus' kingdom ethics on sexuality. The Bible says some things about homosexuality. The Bible says about seven or eight things 
about homosexuality in seven or eight places. It speaks against homosexuality. Now, the Bible talks way more about money and greed and anger and jealousy and all sorts of other problems way more than it does homosexuality. But it does say some things about homosexuality. And as kingdom citizens, we can't just brush these things aside. We can't just, well, yeah, I don't want to think about that. We also cannot wield these teachings we find in the Bible as a weapon to prove a point or to shame someone who struggles with their sexual orientation. And so again, back to the same thing, we enter into the process and we discern the Spirit's guidance on these things. So what does someone who actually struggles with sexual attraction, how do they handle these kingdom passages on it? What does someone who's seeking to follow Jesus, who actually struggles with same-sex attraction or with gender dysphoria, how do they enter into this kingdom adventure in light of this? And how do we as a church family walk with them in these adventures? See, our sexuality is part of our spirituality. Ultimately, and I want to keep returning to our scripture readings wisdom to first pay attention to the plank in our own eye. Plank is a big piece of wood. Sawdust is a tiny little. I don't know what it is, actually. I'm not, that's construction stuff. I'm not into that, but it's a little piece of a former of a It's a little speck of a former piece of wood. One of the bizarre ironies in today's Christian community is heterosexual Christians who attack and criticize homosexuality and transgenderism, but rarely examine the plank of sexual brokenness in their own eye. They rarely consider how Jesus wants to do transforming work in their own sexual brokenness, or how Jesus wants them to envision the kingdom breaking into their sexuality. I've seen Christians who have blatant displays of sexual brokenness in their own lives and their own marriages. But they are zealous about railing against homosexuals and transgenders. People have often asked me where I stand on this or that sexual issue or where Oak Hills stands on sexuality Issues. These questions always feel like a test to me. Now, I understand the question, but I think it's a thin question because it doesn't really get to the substantive issues. People have occasionally asked about whether we affirm this or we approve that. And I understand the question, but I think these are also thin questions. So here's my response. Oak Hills is about helping people envision the kingdom of God in the details of their lives right now today. We affirm the reality of God's kingdom. We affirm the priority of God's kingdom and we affirm the absolute goodness of life right now in God's kingdom. And on a regular basis, every last one of us 
if we have ears that still work, will hear the collision between the way we are choosing to live and the way Jesus invites us to live. The collision may happen when we're talking about politics or success or beauty or anger or violence or money or sexuality or whatever. And not if, when the collision occurs. We have to choose our response. Jesus' way, the kingdom way, or my way. One of the agonizing realities of writing a sermon is that diving deep into God's reality is fiercely convicting and challenging because it exposes my shallowness and lack of kingdom orientation. The collision. Deborah Hirsch, in a rather interesting book called Redeeming Sex, she writes these words, Are we to be welcoming of all people? Absolutely. Are we to affirm all belief systems and behaviors of all who break bread with us? Absolutely not. If God doesn't affirm all human behavior, then neither can his church. However, we need to be clear that Jesus and his way must take priority. And remember, he is not the standard religious kind of guy. He's unlikely to simply agree with you no matter where you stand on these matters. At Oak Hills, we affirm the goodness of the kingdom of God. We affirm the exquisite beauty of the kingdom of God. And we affirm the joy of the kingdom of God. And we keep inviting one another to step further up and further into the kingdom in the details of our lives, in the details of our sexuality, because where the kingdom is breaking in, there is goodness and there is healing and there is grace and there is renewal. And whatever it may be, Jesus is asking us to let go of and surrender what he has to replace it is infinitely better. Third, let's talk about relationships, not policies. You know, as I do, many in the Christian community and many in the culture are struggling immensely with various issues related to sexuality, desire, orientation, intimacy, identity. Many are hurting and confused and lonely in their struggle. There's enormous pain around this subject. And we don't have to look hard to find this pain. We may have our own pain. Many of us do. I assure you, there's plenty of this pain in this room right now. How do we as kingdom citizens respond to the sexual pain and confusion and struggle and brokenness in the culture and in the church? In a word, relationship. In a phrase Dave Fitch uses, be present with. In our scripture reading, Jesus uses the term brother. Do you realize in the crowd there were disciples and there were other people who didn't even know who he was? It's a word implying relationship. It's a word implying presence. It's a word implying family. Certainly, Jesus uses the terms brother and sister to refer to those who are part of his family, that is, in the church. But Jesus consistently prioritizes relationship and presence throughout the Gospels. When he encounters a broken or sinful or struggling or hurting person, he leads with relationship, not with a rule, not with a policy. 
He led with relationship when he interacted with these quote-unquote despised Samaritans. He led with relationship when he touched an unclean quote-unquote leper. He led with relationship when he sat at a table with greedy tax collectors. And he led with relationship when he interacted with prostitutes, adulterers, and fornicators. As kingdom citizens in a sexually broken culture, do we lead with relationship or with policies? Relationship and presence is our first response to sexual chaos and brokenness. With one another, certainly, as we navigate our own sexual brokenness and with those we encounter in the culture. When we lead with policies, we forget the person. They become an other instead of a person. And it's easy to attack others, much easier than it is to attack an actual, real person. And so when we otherize someone, it often results in violence, anger, antagonisms, and disembodied ideological judgment and hypocrisy. We lead with relationship. We lead with a ministry of being with Because relationship makes room for God's spirit to do his transforming work of healing and renewal. Relationship, we might say, creates a space where the goodness of the kingdom can break in. I have a Christ-following friend whose child has been on a multi-year journey of sorting out their sexual and gender identity. Now, you may not need this help, but please resist the impulse to let your policy on these things, elbow out the people, namely my friend and her child. It's been a difficult and agonizing journey for my friend, a constant conflict within her faith, and she's been irrevocably committed to loving her child through all of these complexities, and I believe her love for her child is a kingdom response for a parent in this situation. My friend wrote these words. When my brother-in-law, who is a pastor, found out about my unconditional support for my child, his son, my nephew, sent me a message saying, quote, I am sorry, but you are definitely not the aunt I used to know. Don't know what happened to your Christian instincts. Maybe you didn't have any to begin with. He then unfriended me on social media. And then she writes, wow, this is policy over people, rule over relationship, and it fosters anti-Christ and much more bad fruit in the language of today's reading. The Bible begins in Genesis 1 where we find these profound words, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Every person on the face of the earth, is created in the image of God, and there are no exceptions. Everyone bears God's image, however brightly or however faintly, and as such, they deserve dignity, gentleness, grace, love. This is the kingdom citizen's first response. So we come to the final thing, and that's love and truth. Relationship before policy does not mean love instead of truth. 
See, love without truth is not really love. It's truncated love. And we live in a time when love has been stripped of its substance and reduced to a blank check endorsement. I'm going to do what I want, and if you love me, then you will affirm and celebrate what I choose to do. Let me try this. Julie, I'm going to go to Dick's Sporting Goods this afternoon, and I'm going to buy a brand-new tailor-made driver that will add 10 yards to my tee shot. And if you love me, you will affirm and celebrate that expense. This is not kingdom love. I mean, that would be kingdom love if she did that. (laughs) She'll be here second service and I'll work that in deep. (laughs) Kingdom love is doing what is best for the other. If someone's, when you say to someone, I love you, you're saying, I am committing to do what is best for you. And doing what is best for the other sometimes means helping them see the speck of sawdust in their own eye. Remember the teaching. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Richard Hayes, in a wonderful book called The Moral Vision of the New Testament, writes this. One often hears voices in the church urging that the radical demands of Christian discipleship should not be pressed upon church members because the loving thing to do is to include everyone without imposing harsh demands. For example, disciplines of economic sharing or sexual fidelity. Indeed, love is sometimes invoked even to sanction sexual relations outside marriage or the use of violence. Surely in such cases, the term love has been emptied of its meaning. The biblical story teaches us that God's love cannot be reduced to inclusiveness. Authentic love calls us to repentance, discipline, sacrifice, and transformation. Last Sunday, we talked about the rich ruler who walked up to Jesus and said, how do I inherit eternal life? And Mark's version says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. So Jesus extends love in one hand. And because he loves this guy, Jesus does what is best for this guy. So he extends truth in the other hand. Sell all your stuff, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. Love in one hand, truth in the other hand. Jesus affirmed the reality and the goodness of the kingdom. That's what this truth was. This is the kingdom, following me. But something's in the way of you following me, so get rid of it. But this did not align with the rich guy's perspective. It did not align with what the rich guy wanted. The collision. My way? Or Jesus' way. Throughout this series and many times in the past when we have talked about difficult issues like today's and all through this series, people sometimes express to me that they wish I would push harder on some of these points. It is undoubtedly the sentiment of some of you sitting here today. 
really preach with passion and draw a truth line in the concrete on whatever issue so we know where you stand and we know what Oak Hills is about. Love includes speaking truth. Truth should always be shared in love. But there are a couple reasons why I hope I resist this aggressive approach until my time is done doing this work. And the first reason is because I've done it many times. I've wielded the truth as a weapon many, many times from right here and from over there when we were over there. I've stabbed people with the truth and relished the pain I've caused. Christians have this way of lathering up when the truth is launched at those we think need to hear it. And I just want to say this. It's wrong to weaponize God's truth. I've done it. And I, a long time ago, thought, decided, I'm never doing it again. If I'm going to commit platform sins, which I do all the time, then I'm going to commit the platform sin of being too passive, not too aggressive. The second reason is because it's not my job or yours to convince or coerce other people to change their views or even change their lives. Transformation, I'll remind us, is the Holy Spirit's job. And He does His job better than I can do His job. So I'm going to pass on applying for that position. So there's a picture forming here, and I'm going to end with this. And admittedly, it's a bit of a corny picture. And I don't like this kind of stuff, but I'm going to go with it. In one hand is love. It's our first response to sexual chaos and brokenness and sin. And we keep extending it because the culture of Jesus' kingdom is love. Relationship. Being present with others. In one hand is love. And then eventually, in time, as the Spirit leads and we discern, we extend the other hand. And in this hand is truth. The relationship we have creates a space where truth can be talked about, argued about, discerned, processed. And here's the picture. Extended. Love and truth, openness, welcome, discerning the truth in a posture of real relationship and real love. Would you close your eyes, please? And would you grab your stone if you haven't yet, if you don't have it? And just stay seated. There's no coming forward during these few moments. Thankfully, shockingly, miraculously, I finished with ample time left. Call the newspaper. It is so incredibly good 
to reject the trappings of Christian light and do our best with humility to keep going further up and further in to the goodness of God's kingdom, though it is costly. As you just have your rock in your hand, I don't know what God might be whispering to you about your own journey with your sexuality. Perhaps there's a degree of condemnation you live under. Maybe this notion of covering yourself, hiding, suffocating in shame really resonates when you think of your sexuality. Maybe as you hold that rock in your hand, you're aware, you know, you have a degree of anger, contempt, condemnation toward a person because of their sexuality, toward a group of people, maybe toward the culture in general. And you've taken your chances, you've seized your opportunities to throw your rocks at those groups. Maybe you hold the rock and you just realize this thing could do some damage. And I've done some damage with the rocks I've thrown. And I've felt the biting sting of rocks ricocheting off of me, thrown by other people. This I believe. When we take a step further up and further in and we open ourselves in deep ways and we allow Jesus and his spirit down into the pain into the condemnation into the sin into those dark places we hide it's rather amazing what he can do and what he will do because he wants what's best for us And those things are not what's best for us. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And when we're done, we're done. If for whatever reason you want to further respond, we're not going to have a song, you're not going to... We're not going to do it in here, but if when you're done, if you want to sit there for a while or if you want to go forward to the various stations we have up front where the crosses are, there are pens there, sharpies. You can write on this stone again. You can lay it down at the cross. You can take it with you. Whatever might help to embody this topic and open you and it to the Spirit of Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we rest secure today knowing we belong to you, knowing that your presence is real and your kingdom is very good. And we lay ourselves before you with our hands open, all of our certainties open, our brokenness open, our pain open, the things that we have resolved in this realm of sexuality. We want your spirit to have freedom to move. So we, in a new and fresh way, we offer 
ourselves to you. We offer our sexuality to you and ask for your spirit to transform, to heal, to renew, to enthrall us with a vision of what our sexuality might be like if your kingdom were to break into it. And we pray all this in your good and holy name. Amen. Well, thanks for being here today. This is not easy stuff. I appreciate your graciousness. And as you leave, may the grace and the love and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thanks for coming.